As you do, join me in prayer. Let's go to the Lord together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your truth. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness to us this morning. Thank you, Father, for redeeming us by the precious blood of Jesus, our Savior. Thank you that though we were lost and hopeless and without light, you transformed us. You changed us. You opened our eyes. You transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the beloved kingdom of light. And you have done all of this for your glory, for your majesty to be seen and known in all of creation. So we thank you that we're part of this this vehicle that you have redeemed to display to all of creation that you are the glorious God. You are the glorious one sitting on the throne. You are the one in control. And you redeemed your people to prove it. So we're grateful that you've done that. We're grateful that you've taken us from no hope, no future, no promises to glorious future, glorious blessing, glorious promises. We are so grateful that you have made us your own. And we come to you this morning and ask you to speak to us that your kingdom might be built in us, that your will might be done in us, that we might be conformed and transformed by the renewing of our minds so that your church is built, so that your glory is seen. God, would you speak to us? Would you teach us this morning? God, I pray that by your word, you would give us truth that would lead us to thankfulness. God, give us material that will lead us to maturity in Christ. God, give us content that will be confession of sin to you. And give us wow that we might worship you, the great, triune, holy, righteous God. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We want to hear your word. Change us by it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a Bible. And turn with me to Romans chapter 8, the great 8. As a church, we've been studying the book of Romans passage by passage, and we are right now in the middle of this epic chapter of Scripture, Romans chapter 8. This is the high point of the peak of the book of Romans, indeed the high point of all of Scripture. We are climbing this epic mountain and beholding the awesome view it affords. At Miller Heights Baptist Church, we believe the Bible is sufficient and authoritative for our lives. And the best regular diet of study for our church is not just some random series or topics that some pastor somewhere thinks we really need to hear right now. Because see, what I think is relevant and trendy right now is going to quickly fade. But rather the best, most nourishing diet to equip us for every good work that the Lord has called us to is the systematic, passage by passage, study of whole books of the Bible. Just asking the question, what does God's word say? What does it say? That is the only agenda. No other agenda. And we believe preaching passage by passage through whole books is the best way to allow God to set the focus for what we need to hear, for what we need to know, and for what we need to obey. Expositional preaching through books of the Bible is like 
removing the preacher from behind the microphone and holding the microphone up to God's Word and just saying, God, You know what's best for us. You know what we need to hear better than we could ever imagine. And so please speak to us. And that's the desire. That desire is why we find ourselves looking at just two verses of Scripture this morning. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. So let's bend our ears. Let's bend our hearts to the Word of God now. This is the Apostle Paul, and he says it this way. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the life-giving Word of our God. May He write its truth on our hearts. Now listen, there are so many wonderful truths in Romans chapter 8 that my guess is these two verses get often overlooked. We love to, to run to verse 28, which God willing, I am excited about for next Sunday. We love to run to Romans 8.28. We love to run to Romans 8.39 and the promise that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. But these two verses teach something unique and profound. These two verses teach us about the Holy Spirit's ongoing and active work in our lives to provide assurance for us. Now, the Apostle Paul has already told us a lot about the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8. Let me just give you a brief overview of what we've already seen about the Holy Spirit. And as I walk through these these truths about the Holy Spirit, my prayer for us is that you and I would love the Holy Spirit more. The Spirit is fully God. He is a person, not a force or power merely. Jesus left the presence and power of the Holy Spirit with us And he said, Jesus said, that it was better for us that he go away and leave the Spirit with us. So, what does the Spirit do? In verse 2, the Spirit has set us free in Jesus. In verse 6, the Spirit gives life and peace. In verse 9, the Spirit dwells in us to confirm that we belong to Jesus. In verse 11, the Spirit will raise us from the dead. In verse 13, the Spirit helps us put to death the deeds of the body. In verse 14, the Spirit leads us as sons of God. In verse 15, the Spirit of adoption, I love that title for the Spirit, the Spirit of adoption enables us to cry out to God as our Father. In verse 16, the Spirit confirms we are children of God and gives us assurance And in verse 23, the Spirit is the guarantee and foretaste, the first fruits of our final redemption. And now in verses 26 and 27, we are told something else the Spirit does for us. The Spirit helps us when we don't know how to pray as we should. The Spirit helps us when we don't know how to pray as we should. Notice the word likewise at the beginning of verse 26. Paul is saying, just as the Spirit is in us and leads us 
and bears witness to our adoption and is the first fruits of our redemption in the midst of our groaning in this world, so also he helps us in our weakness. Specifically notice our weakness in prayer. Now, I've heard it said that if you want to humble or shame a Christian, just ask them about their prayer life. So, how's your prayer life? Do you spend time in prayer? Do you spend significant time and energy in communication with your God? Let's be honest. Prayer is really hard. Like, you don't need me to go into the statistics about how few minutes the average Christian prays per day or discuss how mediocre our prayer life is. You know, you know prayer is not easy, especially in our incredibly distracting moment of history. Paul taught that we should pray without ceasing, always praying. Jesus said we ought always to pray and not lose hearts. But instead of that, instead of praying without ceasing, our hearts are often a million miles away from God and communicating with Him. Our hearts are cold. Our thoughts drift to more pressing issues in our world. Our words and our phrases are just sort of repetitions of the same requests we ask again and again. Our prayers are even often incoherent. Remember when the disciples fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus urged them to pray with Him, but instead they were tired. And friends, I identify with them way too closely. And let me highlight a specific struggle in prayer that Paul is highlighting right here in Romans 8. Not only do we not pray as much or as fervently as we should, but we don't even know what to pray. When we go to pray for someone or something, we are often at a loss as to what it is to ask God for. Anybody with me on that? You know what I'm talking about, right? You're facing a difficult decision. You don't even know the best thing for God to do. You would ask Him to do it, but you don't even know what it is God needs to do in this situation. You would pray for God's will to be done, but you don't know what God's will is for that situation. Or what about when you have a loved one who's facing severe illness, and you don't know whether you should pray for God to heal them? or whether you should pray for God to take them home. Are we supposed to pray with utmost confidence that they will be healed? Or should we pray more conservatively, tentatively, and ask God to do His will? Or what about a close friend or family member who's engaged in some godless, destructive behavior? How should we pray for them? Like, Are we supposed to pray that it will destroy their lives so that they realize that that's not the answer? Or should we pray that God would gently remind them of the truth they already know so that, it will, so that it won't destroy them? What if we end up asking God for things that aren't His will? If that's even possible, why pray at all? If it's possible to ask God to do things that aren't even His will, why pray at all? Because we don't know what God wants in a particular situation. See, I don't know about you, but I'm often paralyzed by my weakness in not knowing what to pray for and not knowing how to pray. But that's the beauty of these two verses right here in Romans 8. Paul says we have a helper in our weakness. 
We don't have to fend for ourselves in this weakness. Notice the word helps in verse 26. This word literally means someone who comes alongside another to assist him in carrying a heavy burden. The picture here is that our weakness in prayer is a heavy weight we bear. Our ignorance is an unbearable load by ourselves. We cannot carry it alone. And so the Holy Spirit does what? He helps us. He comes alongside us to shoulder the load and to lighten this burden. You see, if you feel the weight of the burden of prayer, the news that we have a helper is very happy news. Notice in verse 26 that Paul includes himself in this weakness. Notice he says, our weakness, and we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But friends, what they're saying to us is that no matter how mature we get in the Christian life, we never outgrow our need for the Spirit's help in our weakness. In fact, I would argue the more mature we are, the more aware of our helplessness, our weakness we become. And thus, the more amazed we should be that we have a helper. Now, let's press into these verses just a little deeper. Notice how Paul says the Spirit bears this burden with us. What does the Spirit do? Notice the word intercedes in both verse 26 and verse 27. Verse 26, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Verse 27, the Spirit intercedes for the saints. So the particular way the Spirit bears this burden is by praying for us. Now listen, Paul isn't saying we no longer need to pray because the Spirit's praying for us as if the Spirit's taken over this burden and we have nothing left to do. No, we still pray. In fact, I actually take Paul to be encouraging us to pray in these two verses. This is not an encouragement to be lazy in prayer and just to pass off to the Holy Spirit. No, this is encouragement to pray with the knowledge that we have one dwelling in us who intercedes for us. I think the picture of an interpreter is very helpful here. You see, when you go to a foreign country, an interpreter is incredibly valuable to have. You don't know the language, and so the interpreter takes the words and translates them into the language that others can understand so that communication can happen. In our weakness, we often don't know what to pray or how to pray, what to pray for, and the Spirit translates before the Father for us. He intercedes on our behalf. Another picture that comes to mind is the picture of a lawyer. Right? If you had to plead with the judge yourself, you don't know what to say. Right? You don't know what legal jargon to use or what defenses and arguments will, will catch the judge's attention. But the lawyer intercedes and argues on your behalf. You see, sometimes we pray for foolish things. Sometimes I pray for foolish things, things that are not according to the will of God. Sometimes, dare I bring this up, sometimes we pray for selfish things. Remember the brother of Jesus, James, rebuked selfish praying in James 4 when he said, we don't get what we ask because we ask according to our selfish desires. And sometimes we do that unknowingly. But the Spirit, as our interpreter, can take our request to the Father and say, What he or she meant to say was, what he or she meant to say 
Or I think sometimes in my case, in the kindness of the Holy Spirit, I think sometimes the Spirit has to take my prayers and go to the Father and say, what he should have said is this. I know that's what he said, but what he, what he should have said is this. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to God's will. How helpful is this? How helpful is this truth? What a blessing to have the Spirit interceding for us before the Father. This is precious encouragement for us to labor in prayer, knowing that the Spirit is bearing this burden with us in our weakness. So what exactly does the Spirit pray for? Well, let me give you three thoughts from the text, from these verses, that kind of point us at what the Spirit prays for us. If you're taking notes, you can write these down, but really I just want you to see where I'm getting these from in the text as an encouragement for us. Notice first, the Spirit asks for things that we don't even know we should ask for. The Spirit asks for things on our behalf that we don't even know we should be asking for. So the weakness mentioned in verse 26, notice, is specifically the weakness of ignorance. It's specifically the weakness of ignorance. We're not omniscient. Our knowledge is very limited. And so we should expect to encounter situations regularly in which we don't know the best thing to pray for in that situation. If we're going to be people who pray without ceasing, then we're going to be the people who come up against being at a loss for what we should pray for, to pray as we ought. And so what a gift to have the Spirit of God interceding on our behalf. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, God is able to do far more abundantly than we can even think to ask Him. God can do more and does do more than we even think to come to Him. And I'm grateful that the Spirit makes those requests on my behalf that I can't even think to ask in the moment. I'm thankful, aren't you, that our God is not limited in His work by only what I can ask Him to do. Imagine a world in which God was limited by only what we ask Him to do. What a sad world and reality that would be. But our God is not limited by only what we ask. This is amazing to know. Isn't this comforting to know that when I say I'm going to pray for you, God is not limited by only what I ask Him to do on your behalf. No, when I say I'm going to pray for you, I often don't know the best thing to pray on your behalf. I might give it my best shot as to what I think God wants to do in this situation. But you know what? The Holy Spirit knows. And he intercedes before the Father and takes my weak, ignorant request and translates them into something beautiful. Imagine a young boy who's playing in a field full of flowers. And before he goes home, this little boy decides to pick some flowers and take them home to his mom. But along with the pretty flowers, he picks some weeds. And he unknowingly picks some flowers that his mom is allergic to. And as he walks in the house, proud of this bouquet that he's about to present to his mom, his father steps in and helps him a little bit and takes some of the weeds out and takes those flowers that the mom's allergic to and arranges them so that the mom is blown away, not only by the thoughtfulness, but by the amazing arrangement of the bouquet. That's what the Holy Spirit does 
with our prayers. He makes them, listen, not only the best they could be, but he makes them what they should be. He makes them not only the best they could be, the Holy Spirit makes them what they should be. J.I. Packer rather directly said it this way. The Spirit fixes our prayers on the way up. The Holy Spirit fixes our prayers on the way up. We don't know what to ask for, but God the Holy Spirit knows. Second, encouragement about what the Spirit prays for is this. Number two, the Spirit asks for things that are beyond words. The Spirit asks for things that are beyond words. Did you notice that little weird phrase at the end of verse 26? Paul says, the Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. What does that mean? Who is actually doing the groaning in verse 26? Is that our groaning or is that the Holy Spirit's groaning? Now, before I answer, try to answer that question, let's, let's consider the context. The word groan or groaning occurs three times in verses 22 to 26. The first occurrence is in verse 22 where Paul says that the creation groans as it waits for final redemption. We see the groaning of creation all around us today. The second occurrence of this word groan is in verse 23 where Paul says Christians groan. We groan. We groan inwardly as we wait for the fulfillment of God's promises for that moment when Jesus comes and sets all things right. And so the creation groans, we groan, and then the third time this word is used in verse 26, and to me it seems to indicate that the Holy Spirit is doing this groaning. Now some people have argued that the Holy Spirit being God cannot groan, that groaning implies something that God can't do, but this is exactly what I think Paul is saying here. The Spirit's intercession is with groanings that are too deep for words. The word literally means wordless groans. We all know what that is. We all know exactly. When you don't have the words to say, sometimes a groan communicates more powerfully than anything you could articulate. So what does it mean that the Holy Spirit groans? Well, clearly it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is unable to articulate his concerns and desires. I think this simply indicates that the Holy Spirit uses communication that is so passionate, that is so heartfelt, that it goes beyond mere words. The Spirit communicates his deepest desires with the Father in a language we cannot even fathom. He, knowing the deep and intimate relationship between the persons of the Trinity, we should expect this to be true, right? We're starting to wade into deep waters, and so let me leave it at that. I don't deny, listen, I don't deny that the Spirit hears our groans and translates them to the Father. That very well may be what Paul is saying here, but I think it's also saying something more profound than that. The Holy Spirit himself groans with us. The Holy Spirit groan. The Holy Spirit identifies with our groans, and His groaning is interceding on our behalf. In the midst of the suffering and sorrow and grief of this broken life, as we groan, waiting for our final redemption, we have one who helps us in our groaning. We have one who groans with us. These wordless groans. 
that we don't even fathom. What an encouragement. Here's the third encouragement that we see the Spirit prays for us. Number three, the Spirit always asks for things that are according to God's will. The Spirit always asks for things that are according to God's will. I love that Paul clarifies in verse 27 that the will of God is uppermost in the Spirit's desires. When the Spirit intercedes, you can count on it that He is interceding according to the will of God. We don't always want God's will. We are selfish. We are ignorant. But the Spirit is God and thus will always intercede according to God's will. And the Father delights to answer the intercession of the Spirit. John Stott helpfully breaks it down like this. He says, so three persons are involved in our praying. First, we ourselves in our weakness do not know what to pray for. Secondly, the indwelling spirit helps us by interceding for us and through us with speechless groans, but according to God's will. Thirdly, God the Father who both searches our hearts and knows the spirit's mind, hears and answers accordingly. Of these three actors, however, Stott says, it is the Spirit who is emphasized. Paul makes three statements about him. First, the Spirit helps us. Secondly, the Spirit intercedes for us. And thirdly, the Spirit intercedes according to God's will. And therefore, God listens and responds. God listens and God responds. Listen. God will hear the prayer of God because God will do the will of God. God will hear the prayer of God because God will do the will of God. This is so freeing to me in prayer. This whole passage communicates that no one expects us to know the secret, perfect, sovereign will of God. No one expects us to know it. It's okay to acknowledge that we don't know God's will for a particular situation. And God's work is not limited to what I understand. Because I have the Spirit dwelling in me, and the Spirit intercedes according to God's will. Wow. Wow. These two verses teach something unique and profound about the way the Holy Spirit works as He dwells in us. If the Spirit dwells in you through faith in Jesus, you have a helper. You have an intercessor who prays on your behalf according, always according to God's will. And so... Let me ask this question. How do we respond to such truth? Based on the truth of these two verses, let me close by pointing to some application about now what? Okay, now what? Number one, thank the Holy Spirit for interceding for you. Thank the Holy Spirit for this great work. You see, the Holy Spirit does this often unrecognized work because he loves us. The point of Paul bringing this up is to instruct us about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, assuring us of our adoption as God's children. We have help as we wait for the day of redemption with hope. We have one who groans with us. So when these truths come to your mind, friends, remind yourself to praise and thank the Holy Spirit for doing this work, for interceding on your behalf. Secondly, embrace your weakness embrace your weakness. Paul wants us to feel how weak we really are. 
we don't know what to pray for. We are not all knowing. There are no know-it-alls in the presence of God. God is the only one omniscient. You and I are not. And when we embrace our ignorance, when we embrace our weakness, we can enjoy the Spirit's burden-bearing work. Embrace it. Third, be encouraged to pray more and more fervently. Be encouraged from these verses to pray more and more fervently. So I think this is Paul's main goal in teaching us about the Spirit's work in interceding for us. He wants us to pray. He wants you to pray. Prayer is the God-given means of communicating and fellowshipping with God. We are so foolish. I am so foolish when we neglect prayer. The old song is right. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Regardless of the limitations we bring to prayer, we are supposed to pray. We are commanded to pray continually and all of God's commands are for our good. And so no, we don't expect prayer to be easy. Nothing worth doing is easy. And to be honest with you, prayer in this world will seem like a waste of time. We are so busy, there are so many things to get done, to check off, that prayer in this world seems almost foolish. We have things to do, people to see, shows to watch, games to play. You won't see immediate results from prayer. You could spend 30 minutes in prayer and there won't be any kind of lights flashing or or just a glow about you. There's not going to be a noticeable difference, but your Father knows what is best for you. Your Father knows. We have help in this struggle, friends. We have help. The point of Romans 8, 26 and 27 is that the Spirit helps us. And so be encouraged to pray more and pray more fervently. Ask God for big things, things that only He can do. Friends, these verses are not encouraging us to pray generic prayers and be lazy in prayer. No, God invites us to commune with Him. He wants to know our heart even if we are weak and ignorant. Cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. So set aside time for dedicated prayer every day. Pray through the church directory for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Take a prayer walk around your neighborhood or your office building. Pray together with your Bible study classes and your community group. Pray with your family before school and before bed and before trips and before meals and before tests and before doctor's appointments and before sports games and in every decision and every event and you will find yourself praying constantly. Consider yourself challenged this morning to pray more to pray more fervently because you have help. Fourth and final application, love the will of God. Love the will of God. I mean, love knowing the will of God. Love being in the will of God. Love seeking the will of God. This is where this passage ends. The end is the will of God. This is the point of it all. That is what God is going to do. His will. God, what God wants, his purposes are what we ought to be seeking after. Because as verse 28 is going to say, this is what we've been called to. We've been called according to his purpose. The purpose and will of God in the world is why we pray. 
Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done, your kingdom come. Listen, we aren't expected to know God's will perfectly. The Spirit knows God's will. The Spirit will intercede for us. But we can seek to know God's will better as it's revealed in his word. We can seek to be in God's will perfectly, even if we know that won't happen in our sinfulness. And the deeper the desire we have for the will of God, the more we will pray according to the Spirit. The cry of our heart should continually be, teach us your will, O God. Teach us your will. We want to be in your will. We want to know your will. And we want to pray for your will to be done. And Friends, let me just close like this. If that's not the desire of your heart right now, if that's never the desire of your heart, you are not what this verse is. You are not who this verse is talking about. This isn't about you. You aren't in the spirit and the spirit isn't in you if you don't want the will of God ever. And thus the spirit doesn't intercede on your behalf if you're not trusting in Jesus. Verse 27 says the spirit only intercedes for the saints. This isn't referring to a special group of super Christians. It's referring to all Christians. All believers have been called by God. The saints are those in Romans 8.1 who have no condemnation in Christ. And so if you're not trusting in Jesus as your only Savior, as your only Lord, our prayer for you right now, according to the will of God, is that you would turn from your sin, you would turn from your selfishness, and you would turn to Jesus as your only hope of right standing with God. Let's pray now, and let's pray with the knowledge that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf according to the will of God. Oh God, we pause to pray because what a privilege prayer is. What a privilege to commune with you, to speak to you, to communicate our desires to you. And we do so with this fresh awareness that the Spirit is interceding for us, that the Spirit is taking our jumbled up thoughts and prayers and is making them beautiful before you. Oh God, do your will, accomplish your will in us and through us. Lord, I pray because I believe it is your will that you would save people in this room, that you would help them to turn away from their sin and let them turn to you, the only Savior. Lord, remind us, Lord, break us, Lord, change us, Lord, do whatever you want to do in our hearts right now. Accomplish your will and your purpose for your church, for your people, for your glory. All glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.